Let's turn together to Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read from the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For... By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul here is speaking about... Our response to who God is, God's massive plan that encompasses all of world history and everyone on planet earth, this great plan culminating in Jesus, the Son of God, coming into the world, taking our place, dying in our place, dealing with sin so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. A massive Gospel, good news, Paul has been expounding in 11 chapters. And he says, now how do we respond? Well, by giving ourselves unreservedly to him. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, he says. And he speaks about the change that needs to take place where we're no longer the center of our world. Think of yourself soberly. You need to see God is great, I'm not. He's the center of the world, I'm not. Nonetheless, I'm in God's world, and as part of God's world, I need other people, and they need me, and he speaks about the body of Christ, and he's talking about the different functions that we have as members of that body. And we come this week in verse 7, where it says, if it's teaching, let him teach. We've seen that this is the body of Christ and therefore if we want to understand these gifts, we need to look at Jesus. We need to see how he modeled these things because corporately we represent him, corporately we show people what Jesus is like. No one of us can do it alone, we need one another and together as the body, all with our different contributions, we manifest, we show what Jesus is like, or we should. So we come to this one. If it's teaching, let him teach. How did Jesus model this? Well, very obviously, it was a priority for Jesus. He did many things. Obviously, remarkably, he healed people. Uh, He performed miracles. He 
walked on water, he turned water into wine, and so are many amazing things that Jesus did, but his priority was teaching. And this was recognized when a leader of the Jews came to see him. We read about it in John chapter 3, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. He then refers to the miracles. No one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. He says, you are a teacher who has come from God. That's who Jesus is, a teacher come from God. And he made this very much his priority and refused to be deflected from it. So in Mark chapter 1, for example, Mark chapter 1, we read in verse 32, People brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Jesus healed many who had various diseases, drove out demons, and so on. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, And this is the significant thing. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. For that is why I have come. Crowds are gathering, looking for more miracles. Jesus says, let's go somewhere else. I want to preach. That's why I have come. He is a teacher come from God. And then very significantly also in Mark chapter 6 and uh, verse 34. There's a a whole crowd that's gathered. It says, when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he sees this crowd, and to him, it's like it's a flock of sheep. And you know what sheep are like? They wander this way and that, and they need looking after. They need tending. And he sees them, this crowd, like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? So he began teaching them many things. That's the need. They needed teaching because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus comes as a teacher. He is a teacher come from God. But the thing about Jesus was he was very different from the many other teachers that were around in his day. And there were many other teachers around. And so you read in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28 Uh, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They're seeing a, a, a real distinction about Jesus. They've heard teaching, a lot of it. But there's something different about Jesus, and what's different about him is he teaches with authority. You see, All these other teachers, very well read, years of study. And so they knew all the authorities. They could open up the scriptures and quote all the authorities on just about any passage you care to identify. They were well taught, well educated, but they're quoting other authorities. And Jesus teaches as one with authority. He's not teaching second-hand stuff. 
He's not quoting other people. Not that we should never quote other people, but I think we need to worry when preachers are only quoting other people. Hey, Jesus has got authority. Where did he get that from? Well, he's a teacher come from God, but we get a a glimpse, an indication, a hint of why he's different in John's Gospel. John's Gospel and chapter 12. John 12 and verse 49, where it says this. John 12, 49, he says, I didn't speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So Jesus is well-versed in the Scriptures. You can see that. So often he's quoting Scripture, and he quotes it with real understanding. All the time, you've heard that it was said, and he quotes the Scripture. He, He knows it all. At the end, after the resurrection, he has 40 days with his disciples, taking through the law and the prophets and showing how all of this pointed to him. Oh, he'd done the study. But he's not just delivering lectures. He says, I didn't speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to, do, how to say it. What to say, how to say it. He's done the study, but he's dependent on God. And all these other teachers around, they've done the study and they're churning it out. A teacher sent from God is not a lecturer. A teacher sent from God is not an entertainer. And I hear people say, yeah, that's true. A teacher sent from God is someone who's done the study, done the hard work, then saying, Father, what do you want me to say? And how do you want me to say it? There's a sense of immediacy, of contact with God and hearing God. It's why it worries me where I know in many churches, I just do not understand it, but there you go, there are many churches where they plan a teaching series and they know exactly Months in advance, it seems, what's going to be said each week. You think, how can you do that? I have to say for myself, yeah, I do the study. But really, it's only at the very last minute that I know what I'm going to say. Sometimes it's during the worship time. You see, this is the way things are going. We need to go that way. Don't always change things. But I don't speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. There's always that sense of immediacy. Yeah, you do the hard work. You don't leave it all to the last minute. Do the, do the study. But what's God saying? How does he want it said? That's Jesus. He's different from the others. He's got authority because that's that sense of God commissioning him and sending him. And Jesus taught in a whole variety of different ways. It wasn't just public speaking. In fact, we read far more about him teaching in other ways than him teaching in that way. The most significant way, I would guess, the most significant way that Jesus taught, you might not agree with this, but I would say this is the most significant way he taught, was just his life, his example, living amongst them. Jesus is truth personified, truth in human form. In John chapter 1, remember how John sets that out in a very kind of philosophical way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's speaking about Jesus, but then in verse 14 of John 1, he says, the Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. This is God's word in human form. It says, he made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. Yet us looking at Jesus, observing him, watching him. There's, there's a lesson from God. This is a different kind of life. The writer to the Hebrews says much the same, doesn't he? In, uh, him, I say, doesn't he? It might have been a woman for all we know. But the writers of the Hebrews, let's just keep on safe ground. In chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is himself a message from God. His life is demonstrating the truth. And that's real teaching. That's how Paul operated. The one writing this letter to the Romans in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17. He says, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord. And then this, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. My way of life agrees with what I teach. Beware teachers who teach theory, who teach about stuff that you don't see in their life. How dare we teach about faith if we're not living by faith? How dare we teach about prayer if we're not praying? How dare we teach about holiness if we're not careful to be holy? Paul says, my way of life agrees with what I teach. Look at Paul, and you don't have to necessarily listen. You can just look at him and say, that's that's, that's that's his message. You see it lived out. And in Jesus, you look at Jesus and you say, that's the message. He's living it. I've mentioned before, um, I'll say it again because it illustrates the point, how some people have commented uh, over events in my life this year uh, with the discovery of the cancer and and so on. Uh, People have commented on uh, their perception of how I've handled that and um, surprise at how I've handled it. And yet... Only recently, preaching through Romans chapter 8, when preaching, in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. Think, it's as if people are thinking, it's one thing to preach it, but hey, that's surprising. No, if you preach it, it's because you believe it. And if you believe it, you live it. It's, there's, there's no sort of theoretical truth, or oh, there's Bible truth and then there's real life. In Jesus, there's Bible truth personified in him. In Paul, my way of life agrees with what I teach. We preach and teach out of what we know to be true. And if we know it to be true, that's how we live. That's how Jesus was. So his life is truth. But then, of course, a lot of the Gospels are about conversations that he's having with people, with his disciples and with others. There are too many examples to draw attention to them. You have Jesus walking along, someone says something, he responds, and in his response, there's some teaching. Always pointing something out, always revealing some truth. Conversations. 
just one-on-one things or with a small group or whatever, but in conversations, in real-life situations, communicating truth. And then, of course, there were big occasions of public teaching. So Matthew chapter 5, we've been looking at this, of course, uh, just recently. Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, and then you come into the Sermon on the Mount. A crowd there, the disciples there, and he began to teach them. And we've already seen that when Jesus sees the crowd and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them, so he taught them. Big public occasions of teaching, private conversations, his life. And of course, preeminently, I guess, a small group, hand-picked men, 12 disciples, that he called to be with him and to send them out. He chose them to be his disciples. And of course, the word disciple means a student, someone who is learning, someone who is being taught. And he gathers those 12 to particularly introduce them into some intensive teaching. They're hearing all his public teaching. They're around, they're observing him. They're, they're looking at him. They see him, he gets up early and he goes out to pray. And they say, teach us to pray. They're seeing what he's doing. They're hearing what he's saying. And of course, he then questions them. What were you talking about? Or we were discussing which of us is the greatest. You don't talk, and he rebukes them. They knew what it was to get the, the rough end of his tongue sometimes. Yes, teaching can involve that. But also encouragement and just expounding the scriptures to them. So a variety of different methods. But of course, all of that gives rise to the question, why do we need this? Or maybe another question, do we need it? Do we need teaching? What, and if so, why? Well, clearly we do need it, otherwise the Father wouldn't have sent a teacher into the world in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But why? Well, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's humanity. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. You see it begin in the Garden of Eden. God puts the first man and woman in that beautiful place, place of relationship with him, and he says he commands them to enjoy the fruit of all the trees in the garden. He says, accept that one. Don't touch that one. And they decided they turned to their own way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Adam and Eve turned to their own way. God said, don't touch that tree. Enjoy all these. They said, we're going to that one. And that's when the story begins. And then read through the whole of the Old Testament. You see continually God's people turning to their own way. God says, obey my commandments so it will go well with you. You'll live long in the land, he says. He only intends good for his people. Say, no, we'll do it our way. That's the human condition. We'll do it our way. 
And so here we are now in the 21st century in the West where God is kind of relegated, shouldn't really speak about him, and we say, we choose our own way. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's the world we come into, a world that has turned to its own way. We know best. That's the mindset of our generation, but it's been the mindset of every generation. We know best. We'll do it our way. That's why we need teaching. Because a massive change in our minds has to take place. When from infancy, we've been reared in an environment that is rejecting God, that knows better than God, that says, no, in our day and age, you can't believe that. We know better than that. Yeah, so the Bible says God created everything. Well, of course, science has raised some questions about that. The Bible says one man, one woman together in marriage for life. Oh, well, we know better than that. And so we turn to our own. People have grown up in that environment. Our kids are taught stuff in the schools that is an abomination to God. We need teaching. We turn to our own way. How are we going to live God's way unless... We have error exposed as error and truth taught as truth. It doesn't just happen. We need to be taught. We need to learn things. And so here in Romans chapter 12, and we are still in Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12 where Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And how will your mind be renewed? By teaching. Teaching. We need to be taught. Jesus gave the commission to his disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Make disciples and teach them. That's the commission of the church. That's what the church is all about. People need to be taught about God. People need to be taught who he is. People need to be taught the good news of what is salvation? What has Jesus done? How does that change our life? People need to be taught then how to live in the light of it. Read through the epistles in the New Testament full of practical teaching about the change that takes place because of being born again. doesn't happen automatically. Got to be taught. Put off that old way of life. What does that mean? Well, it spells it out. Put on the new. What does that mean? It spells it out. Teaching is so important. We need to know about God. We need to know about the, the gospel. We need to know about the new life that we live. We need to know about the future. We need to be taught about death. We need to understand and be taught about heaven. We need teaching. Fundamental role. Because the world bombards us with stuff that is frankly untrue. Lies ensnare people and hold them captive and damage people's lives because we've turned to our own way. The truth, Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. People need to be set free through the truth, through being taught truth. So why do we need teaching? Well, because we're turned to our own way. And the commission is to go and make disciples. And so our individual calling is to be a disciple. To be someone 
who is learning, a student. Remember how Jesus, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus issued this invitation, verse 28. Come to me, he said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke. Why? So we don't turn to our own way. Take my yoke on you and learn. That's the call. Come to me and learn. Come and be a disciple. But you know, you can only teach the teachable. I guess that's pretty obvious, and yet maybe not as obvious as it should be. You can only teach the teachable, which is why Jesus Jesus said many difficult things, but I guess one of the most difficult things he said is in Luke chapter 14. And the reason he said it surely is this, that you can only teach the teachable. So Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. And anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I guess there are a few verses that we would happily kind of jump over because that's difficult. And he goes on, verse 33, the same chapter, in the same way he says, any of you who doesn't give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Let me ask a question. Are you a disciple? We're called to be disciples. Hey, why is Jesus making it so difficult? If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Why make it so difficult? Well, surely for this reason. You can only teach the teachable. Now, what's that got to do with it? Well, to be teachable... You've got to be free of any other tie, any other allegiance that has a prior claim on you. If you say, I want to be a disciple, but don't say anything about my commitment to my family. Don't say any, anything about my job, my career, my promotion. Don't say anything about my finances. If we hedge things around and say, well, don't touch those things because they're all settled, but now I want to be a disciple. No, 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 Jesus says. Any of you who doesn't give up everything he has, in other words, clear the decks, clear the decks and say, it's all available, Lord, teach me. If we come with no-go areas, then what will happen is we think we're a disciple, but we're subconsciously editing out all that touches a vulnerable area. And it happens subconsciously. An example of this, a few years ago I was uh, in India, in Kerala, in the south of India, and I was teaching a a group of leaders, and um, most of them didn't speak English, so I'm teaching through an interpreter. And they'd asked me to do some stuff in Ephesians, which is what I was doing. Um, And it came to the bit about... um, Honouring children, honouring your father and mother. 
And I made a point which I knew was relevant to their situation. I said children are to honor and to obey their parents. But I said when children become adults and have left home, they will honor their parents, but they won't obey them. So I make that statement. I wait for the guy to translate into Malayalam, and he does his stuff, and then I'm ready to carry on. And someone who is listening, who was, whose first language happens to be English, but he knew Malayalam, he interrupted, and he said to the, the interpreter, you got that wrong. The interpreter was a bit surprised. And apparently what had happened was the interpreter couldn't believe that I meant what I'd just said because it was so contrary to their culture. And so he corrected it. I had said, you honor your parents, but you don't obey them. Well, of course, I was saying it deliberately because in India, a mother wields power over her sons particularly when they marry when the, the, the poor wife of, of the guy knows that number, the, 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 the first lady in her husband's life is his mother, and she's number two. That's the way it works. And the mother-in-law wields power and is a threat to the wife. So I deliberately said, no, you leave father and mother and you cleave to your wife. You no longer obey them. Well, because that's a no-go area, then it's as, it's as if I didn't say it. There's so many no-go areas we can have. You say, you, you can't mean that. You can't touch that. Hey, Jesus says, clear the decks. If you want to be a disciple, put everything on the table. Your family. How do you manage your family? What about relationships in the family? And of course, it's not only in Kerala that that kind of situation applies. So many situations in this country where a mother won't let her children go and they get married. But you, And why the mother-in-law jokes? Well, they come out of this very thing. And the matriarchal, Jezebelic, dare I say, influence of mothers who still want to hold on to their kids. When, when Mary and I moved here, um, my mother was lived eight miles away from us down in the south, but uh, she was a bit dependent on us, so she came with us. And it was fascinating, really. If we were going out in the car, Mary and me and my mother, uh, my mother would go to sit in the front seat next to me. I would steer her away into the back seat. Mary sits next to me. She didn't like it. I'm her boy. She's my wife. You don't come between us. It's important. It's a biblical principle. But it's not just the only one. There are all these other things. In the same way, any of you who doesn't give up everything he has. Yeah, I want to be a disciple. Lord, teach me. Teach me with how I handle my money. Teach me with my marriage. Teach me with how I raise my children. Teach me about how I am at work. Teach me about anything. And it's all up for grabs. Because I know each of us has turned to his own way. And I want to come back to your way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How will your mind be renewed? By being willing to be taught about anything. So, Paul here in Romans 12, he's talking about different gifts. And one of the gifts is the gift of a teacher. And what we've seen with these gifts is 
At one level, we can all be involved in all of these things. We can serve, we can prophesy and so on, but there are particular gifts. Well, how does this one apply generally? Well, it certainly does. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that we can all be involved in teaching. Do you remember what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 when he's talking about being filled with the Spirit? In Colossians 3 and uh, verse 16, Colossians 3 and verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. What it's talking about here is absorbing truth. Let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You've absorbed the truth. And therefore, what comes out of your mouth in conversation with one another, and indeed in contributions in a worship time, But in conversations with one another as well, what comes out of our mouth is biblical wisdom, not, well, in my experience or in my opinion, who cares about your opinion or indeed your experience? What does God say? What does the Bible say? Let Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If it's dwelling in you richly, then what comes out will be truth. And so we teach and admonish one another. It's not worldly wisdom that we're imparting. No, it's the Bible. It's what God says. So everyone has a teaching role. And then particularly, parents have a teaching role. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, the passage that got me into trouble in Kerala, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A vital role for parents. Parents, you are a teacher. And you are responsible to teach your children. To teach them what the Bible says. So from earliest years, they're getting to know Bible stories. But not just knowing what the Bible says and knowing Bible stories, but knowing Bible behavior. So that those stories are translated into action. And you're, you're bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's showing how to live. That's what the Bible's about. A life that matches the truth. Parents, massive responsibility to teach your kids from Scripture. And, of course, you can only do it if they see it in you because truth has to be personified. It's not... And and kids are so sharp at picking up unreality. Parents who spout Bible verses but don't live it. That cuts no ice with your average child. They'll see it. They'll think, when they're teenagers, they'll dismiss the whole thing. Because they've seen how their parents are with each other. They've seen the, the atmosphere in the home and Bible stories and that atmosphere. They just don't go together. So they turn away from the whole thing. No, parents... You have a massive responsibility that you yourself are a disciple. And because you yourself are a disciple, you can then disciple your children. Because authority is coming into your life, you're able to do your, fulfill your role with authority. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Not just teaching them things, but training them. This is how God wants you to live. 
This is how God wants you to be when you come on a Sunday. This is how God wants you to be at school. This is how God wants you to be. What about considerate to others? What about, what about kids? The end of the meeting, we always say something like, tea and coffee are served downstairs, and this is the moment of freedom. The kids make a beeline for the doors. They're downstairs. What happens to the plate of biscuits? Well, the locusts descend. I wonder how many kids have been taught to say others first, to honour other people, to not be greedy. Hey, it's not surprising, you know, that in many churches they like to have a separate children's work because sometimes children can show their parents up. (laughs) Have the children in, we see everything. It's a threat. Parents, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Not just knowing Bible verses, but Bible behavior. So we all have a teaching role. Everybody, parents, and then that intriguing verse in Paul's letter to Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. The older women teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. See that? It's all about the word of God. It's all about the truth. So older women live by the truth, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, and so on. In other words, living Bible behavior, then the older women can teach the younger ones. Not saying just about, well, what in my experience, or this is what I've learned, but no, this is what the Bible says, and I've proved it. This is how the Bible says a wife should be, and I've, I've lived that way Follow my example. Godly wisdom, not old wives' tales. Truth from Scripture, fleshed out with biblical experience. A teaching role that touches a wide variety of different people. But then there is the gift. And that's what Paul is primarily talking about here. If it's teaching, let him teach. And so God puts teachers in the church But it's God who puts them there. It's not something we take on ourselves. And it is kind of living dangerously. In James' letter, James chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Yep. I don't know how it's going to be when we get to heaven. I don't know if there'll be a queue at the entrance. I fear there might be. But if we all turn up together, you will all just move straight in and the teachers get singled out. Uh, No, you stand back. We who teach will be judged more strictly. Why? Because of the potential for doing damage. The potential for leading people astray, the potential 
for just trying to please people instead of saying what God says. The potential for misrepresenting God (laughs) has great dangers. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. It's not not a a kind of have-a-go thing, but a definite commission from God and not something to be taken on board lightly. It's a deposit that is entrusted. It's a commission. A deposit is, is entrusted. It's enlarged through study, through hard work in the Scriptures. It's enlarged through experience, living it out. It's something that God has called you to, and you can't suppress it. You can't stop it. And it's not a job, so you don't retire from it, I throw in mischievously. It's a calling... And the call of God is irrevocable. He doesn't take it back again at age 65. It's a calling because there's a deposit and you say, I've got to teach. Not many of you should presume to be. You know we judge more strictly. Therefore, it's got to be a call from God. Paul obviously knew that call. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says, What you heard from me, Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Get the sense there. This is something precious, something that God gives, and it's a deposit. Hey, I'm going to protect this. I'm not going to let it get diluted with worldly wisdom. I'm not just going to get second-hand stuff just quoting other people all the time. No, there's a deposit. Guard it. It's the pattern of sound teaching. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaks about this with which we're entrusted. And he says, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God, now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, judge more strictly. God has given you something and said, I want you to pass that on. We don't pass anything else on then. It's got to be what God gave, because we're answerable to God for what we do with it. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, also in chapter 4, in that letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, And verse 1, he says, Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart, we've renounced secret and shameful ways, we don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. Can you get the sense of a weighty responsibility here? Yeah, it's possible to just try and please people. It's possible to just want to come up with jokes and talk about all kinds of things. But no, we don't use deception. We don't distort the word of God. We've renounced secret and shameful ways. No manipulative, emotional blackmail or any of that stuff. No, it's the truth. That's what we set forth because we answer to God for it. A commission that comes from God. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 11... Paul says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, yeah, before God, it's truth 
to impart. And that involves all scripture, no private hobby horses. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, breathed out by God, profitable. So it's all of scripture. And it's not manipulated, not twisted into things that we want to say. We don't bring our private interpretation into it. Everything's open before God and he, he teaches us so that we can teach others. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, hard work involved, coming to the scripture and correctly handling the word of truth, studying, yeah, doing the work, but in the fear of God, and I want to be approved by God. That's a teacher. It involves hard work. It involves integrity. So, for all of us, we need to see where we are responsible to teach others and to make sure that it's not just words, it's life. But also we need to recognize our need of this gift and value it. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, Paul says, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The time will come when people won't put up with sound doctrine. I think we're living in a day when that time has clearly come. It's alarming how many churches that regard themselves as Bible-based actually don't expound the Scripture. They talk about themes. They talk about hobby horses. Hey, the time will come when men won't put up with sound doctrine. Be discerning. Don't just be taken in by the atmosphere. Don't be taken in by the feel of it. Look for truth and look for food. Look for the word of God. Develop an appetite for God's word and discernment to recognize truth and error. Not just passively hearing, but actively getting hold of it, chewing it over, digesting it and obeying it. But otherwise, it will slip away from us. And we don't realize we've come into something different where we're just being entertained. Hey, develop that. Recognize it. We need to also know, we've seen, all of us have turned to our own way. Lies are the culture of our day. And lies damage and ensnare people. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Our aim must be to learn the truth and pass on the truth in conversation, in expressing opinions or whatever, that we are bringing truth to people damaged by things that are not true. Let's do serious damage to Satan's reign of lies. Let's bring truth into whatever environment we're in. Let's let our homes be a beacon of truth 
We're as a family, we're living out the truth. Where neighbors see something different. Let's, as a church, make sure it's truth. We're not only preaching, but living. And let's do some damage to a culture that is so anti-God and therefore basically anti-people as well. And finally, I guess the question we have to end with, are you a disciple? You might say, I'm a Christian. No, that's not the question. Are you a disciple? Is everything on the table? You say, Lord, teach me. I'm open to be taught, even in areas where adjusting to the truth is going to be costly, painful, humbling. Lord, it's all on the table. I am your disciple. Are you a disciple? Let's pray.